Welcome to the Itty Bitty Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Phillips, and because I've killed so many brain cells, I feel like I'm getting dumber as I'm getting older. So the podcast is a great way to learn more about the things that I love. So each week we take a look at topics from the world of pop culture, including music, shout out to hip hop, movies, sports, comic books, video games, psychedelics, cannabis, and more. And the format might not always remain the same from week to week. I'm all over the place. What can I say? And I love the idea of a podcast that changes and grows with our listeners. So before we get too far, if you're listening so far, head over to ittybittypodcast.com to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice. And make sure to say hi to us on social media. It's pretty much at ittybittypodcast for everything um, but without further ado, man, the Itty Bitty Podcast is anything but Itty Bitty. So let's get it going. What's going on? How's everybody doing? Hope everybody's hanging in there with um, everything that's been going on in the world. And if you don't know, if you're listening to this like in the future and you're not sure, right now we're going through a global pandemic and everything is pretty much shut down. So that being said, the one thing that I think everybody can universally agree on is that the documentary The Tiger King is incredibly entertaining. Um, I actually watched it. I came. I talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but I watched it after coming home from taking acid in the woods, and I was like, oh, I'm going to take watch this documentary as like a nice way to chill out before I go to bed. And no, that's not what happened. I ended up staying up fucking like three hours binging, and then I woke up the next day and finished it, and then me and my wife watched it. So I've seen that shit twice. Um, so I wanted to talk to somebody who, you know, knew a little bit about wildlife and everything. And and I had spoken to somebody a while back about possibly coming on the podcast way before all the Tiger King stuff. And it just kind of never happened. So now I've got him on the show and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the Tiger King documentary. Um, we talk about the, the psychos on the Tiger King documentary. We talk about the importance of wildlife rescue and we learned some super interesting things about crocodiles. Well, more than just crocodiles, but one of the most interesting thing comes at the end. And so I was super interested in all the stuff that he was talking about. Very informative. Uh, his name's Jungle Justin, and he seemed like a guy who's just actually got an actual concern for animals' well-being. Um, you know, he had a lot, a lot of knowledge, and he was super informative. And I'm really glad that he came on. So, yeah, thank him for coming on. And uh, definitely check out Jungle Justin's Instagram page and all that stuff so you can check him out too. But now I'm done rambling. This is not a podcast about where Carol Baskin's husband is hidden. It's the Itty Bitty Podcast. It's anything but. And it starts meow. Welcome to the Itty Bitty Podcast. Welcome to the Itty Bitty Podcast. My guest this week, he's already been introduced. Uh, Jungle Justin is here on the show to talk um, a little bit about uh, some some of the stuff that's been going on, uh, like with, with the Tiger King craze. Um, so 
yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But I kind of want to get your background and learn a little bit about you. I've always been a huge fan of wild animals. Uh, Jack Hanna growing up, Steve Irwin, all that stuff was all, always really cool to me. And so why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what your background with animals are and when you became an animal person? Uh, so basically, since I was a young kid, I've always been infatuated with animals um as a kid running around chasing the canadian geese around the park and stuff like that i'm from canada so there's lots of them all over the place like <clears throat> um going to every zoo possible just always loved animals and then uh steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter he came on tv and from that day on man that was i was hooked um uh, been working with exotics for a very long time now since i was a young child i've been collecting uh snakes and all kinds of different things from crocodilians i've had tigers i've had you name it um most of all are rescues a lot of people end up buying exotic animals thinking it's a cool thing um, more as a novelty than anything um, and then they need a place to get rid of it when they're done. So, so it happens that, quite a bit. It's unfortunate. So is that kind of how you got started was with rescuing animals? Um, I started by taking in a couple. Well, first I got my first snake, uh, after watching Steve Irwin, I looked at my mother and I said, I want a pet snake. She said, uh, she threw a book on the table. It was about. I don't know, two inches thick, and it was all about snakes. And she said, when you read that book from cover to cover, then you can go get a pet snake. So she didn't think I would do it because I'm not much of a reader. I like to be hands-on. I like all that stuff. She probably gave me the book thinking, oh, well, he'll forget about it and he'll carry on. I read that book in about two days from cover to cover Um because I just, everything about snakes, reptiles, crocodiles, things like that, it just, it keeps my attention very good. Um, so, I got my first pet snake, and then it kind of turned into a thing where people knew I had snakes. Um, so, when they would have one, or they knew someone who had one, and they didn't want it anymore, they'd call me, and I'd always say yes, and then that kind of built up a collection, right? there's a big problem in florida with exotic snakes right with people like just letting them go into the swamps and now it's like kind of overrun um so that does happen a lot of people do possibly release their pets i mean it happens up here in canada even um yeah. up here we're not so uh worried about them getting out and surviving because come winter time here i mean most exotics are going to freeze. They're not going to really serve our winters in Canada, but in Florida, uh, they're fully able to adapt and survive in that kind of environment. It is a huge problem. A lot of the population, though, isn't so much from people releasing it. Um, there was a hurricane years back, um, and it hit a reptile facility where they bred and kept thousands of exotic animals. Um, and it tore that building apart, and a lot of the animals got out in that uh, natural disaster. 
And that's what caused a big boom of the population in Florida. So um, it is due a little bit to some people releasing pets, but mostly due to that disaster, mostly. So I wanted to talk about this probably later on in the podcast, but since we're already talking about this right now, let's just talk about this for a little bit. So with everything that's going on in the world with COVID-19, how can that affect, you know, animal, wild animals, as well as, you know, uh, people who are, are rescuing wild animals? Like, how does that affect them? And how does that affect them? Because this is almost like a, a natural disaster on like a world scale. Um, it's, yeah. it's like a daily natural disaster. It just seems like it, it gets worse and worse each day. So I'm wondering how does, you know, COVID-19 affect animals and wildlife? As I know that I'm sure probably a lot of wildlife is coming back. I'm sure that's a benefit. Like a lot of the wildlife in the actual wild is probably coming back because there's a lot less, you know, people interaction. Um, but what's yeah. your take on that? What do you think as far as like COVID-19? Are we in trouble with animals or what, what are we looking at? Um, cause like so are, are animals still able of, to get care and everything like that where you're at? Yeah. So that's, um, right now in Canada, we're not super, super bad. Like a lot of the rest of the world. Are you guys locked um, down? We're, we're our, my province is in a state of emergency. So we have certain new laws and, be in certain groups of people and things like that so but we're not locked down or um we're just told to stay at home and try to try to stop the spread kind of thing right right um that's kind of how we are so i mean we can we can still go to the grocery store and get food for the animals things like that um but the problem is is people everybody's being told to stay home so a lot of the shelters a lot of rescues um, are undermanned, I guess. Mm-hmm. They don't have enough people to help take care of the animals. So um, a lot are starting foster programs where they're looking for temporary placement where people that are staying at home can maybe take an animal in, take care of it, things like that. Um, that's kind of happening all over the world from what I understand through the news. Uh, uh, but in some of the places where they're locked down, uh, animals are being abandoned um, because the people are sick. So they're being rushed off to the hospital and their pets are, are left behind, right? Because they're more worried about the people um, and the pets tend to get forgotten in a situation like this, I guess. So um, it's super unfortunate for people and the animals that are with those people, right? Um, it's rough on everybody is what it is. Uh, as far as animal facilities and stuff in Canada, from what I know, we're doing pretty okay. My local SPCA, uh, I call them every once in a while just to see if they need a hand, if they need any more volunteers, um, anything like that. They seem to be handling everything so far. Um, all the zoos and facilities that I'm in contact with, they all seem to be pretty okay. So, uh, the animals don't seem to be suffering captivity wise and nature wise, they seem to be thriving. Um, as bad as this is for humans, nature seems to be doing very, very well. Um, 
the the air quality has gotten better in places like like um, animals have been seen in places that they haven't been seen in years. Uh, wildlife is moving into cities because mm-hmm. there's no people there. Um, so it's it's going to be a different world when we finally emerge from our caves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I honestly I don't know what is going to happen after all this is is said and done. Um, I wanted to go back, so we I kind of got sidetracked a little bit. You had started to talk about how you got into uh, reptiles, and so from there, where did you kind of progress with your um, your career? And so animals? from um, from being a kid and just having some couple of pets and things like that, um, I kind of pursued it a little bit more. And then as a teenager, my friends kind of got in the way, um, being, hanging out, that kind of stuff. So I had my pets, wasn't so much volunteering anymore, um, got into a little bit of trouble um, as a kid, and then had a daughter at the age of uh, eight, uh, 18 and decided, like, I got to do something with my life that she'll be proud of. Um, so work towards schooling, all of that stuff and decided that's what I was going to do. Um, so I worked construction, did whatever I had to do, make money to pay the bills. Um, and then I ended up getting a job at a Kazda accredited zoo. Um, in between there, I was kind of volunteering at shelters, rescues, places like that, as well as taking in my own stuff and uh, doing shows kind of here and there at friends' birthday parties, things like that. Um, then I got a job, like I said, at the credit. We uh, were a reptile zoo. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was mostly reptiles. It wasn't really mammals. There was a couple birds, things like that. And it was pretty cool. Um, I mean, CASA is the Canadian Association of Zoos and Accredited Aquariums. Um, so it's Are you still, a regulated. You just cut out a second. Sorry? You just cut out a second. Um, oh. Yeah, I can hear you now. Um, so CASA. So CASA is the Canadian Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Okay. Uh, um, basically, like a like an association that helps keep the zoos in a, in check up here in Canada. Um, they make sure that there's rules and regulations, and the zoos are doing proper proper care techniques, proper enrichment for the animals, making sure that everybody's taken care of properly. Um, and they go around and they do their, their yearly and monthly inspections and stuff like that as well. So the zoo that I worked for was like top notch. They were actually the fastest accredited zoo in Canada. Um, and I learned a lot from them. Uh, worked with them for a long time. Then I went on tour with a company um, that did wildlife shows all Canada. Um, so I worked from BC all the way to Nova Scotia and back. Um, 
doing stage shows with uh, snakes and crocodiles and all kinds of stuff. That's dope. educating the public um, conservation and uh, responsible pet ownership. Right? Some people want a pet crocodile, and maybe it's that idea. <laughs> So, how does that work as far as the like the laws are concerned with with pet ownership in Canada? Um, so it really depends on where you are. Um, it's a lot like the states where each state is different. Every province is different. Their laws and their bylaws and their provincial laws. Um, so it all really depends on where you land. Here in Ontario. There is no uh, real provincial laws or federal laws. So um, it all comes down to your municipality. Um, and the municipality is what decides what you're allowed to have, basically. Um, so in Toronto, they have very strict rules on what you're allowed to have. Um, there's no boa constrictors large snakes, things like that, you're not allowed to have as a, a, a regular citizen. Um, CASA accredited zoos are obviously exception to that, like the Toronto, um, all the bigger ones. So they're, um, they're okay to have them, but the general public cannot own that in their home kind of idea. Mm. Um, but if you go out to a unorganized township that maybe hasn't thought of it yet then uh you could possibly own almost whatever you want i've uh i lived in los angeles for a little bit and i remember there was uh this place that we used to hang out it was like this weird community artist and they had a boa constrictor i always felt so fucking bad for that thing because it was like so big and they had it in the main when you would walk in and it was a pretty big area that it was living in but it, it was like you know it had nowhere to go basically it was just in that like little tank for the whole time um and so yeah i don't even know how they ended up getting like i don't know whose boa constrictor it was or where it even came from we we were always so fucked up on mushrooms back then it was just like uh we didn't know what which way was up but um sorry i got sidetracked with that little story there uh <laughs> so as far as like zoos in Canada go, so I know that there's a lot of zoos that it's been a while since I've been to a zoo just because, you know, I've just uh, busy with work and what whatnot. But as far as like some of the zoos in the, the United States, I know that there's some zoos that aren't the greatest. And then there, are, you know, that's there's some zoos that have great reputation. So how do you how do you as like a, a an animal person think you can you can move forward and like and weed out the bad apples and then kind of you know do you know what i'm saying like how do you think you can move forward and and, and kind of make it so that everybody treats the animals with respect um so that's a very good question um so the the hardest part is is that a lot of the bad apples are some of the very successful um, people in the industry, like um, the people in Tiger King, um, they all might look like broke rednecks from Florida, um, but they're millionaires, right? They've got millions and millions of dollars in the bank. 
and that's why they stay open and they fight those um, charges and things that happen to them because they have the money to do that, right? Um, a lot of very good facilities be closed down because they just don't have the funding. Um, and maybe it's because they won't do the superficial things that other people might do um, or the exploitation and things like that. So they'll avoid it and they end up losing out because that's not what the people want. Um, I myself, I believe um, it's somewhere in the middle of what Tiger King is trying to put out there and what Joe and those people are doing. Um, I'm very hands-on when I do stuff uh, with the reptiles. I pick specific species that don't mind the interaction. I'm not going to pick a species that absolutely hates being touched or wants nothing to do with people um, because that would be stressful for the animal. But put something in somebody's hands, uh, it they connect with it so much more than it being through a cage or being through glass or being on TV. Once it once they touch it, you can see in their face like the connection that they make. Um, it's hard to describe. So, you know, there's there's certain people that that would say that you know all zoos should should be gone and that all animals should be captive or should be free from being captive, and um, you know there's there's people that think that this is a necessary thing to educate people about animals and wildlife. What do you think is like the line between you, you mentioned exploitation earlier, but what do you think is the line between exploitation and education? So, um, exploitation would be making the animal do unnatural things basically. So when you see like a circus making a tiger do tricks or standing up and doing things that it wouldn't, naturally do um that's my opinion um exploitation of an animal right if it's not naturally meant to do it and we're making it do it for our entertainment um then that's not all that right um for it to be doing something that it naturally does um I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it. There's a lot of people who keep animals. Um, and I mean, some of those animals are genuinely happy. You see them. They are um, they love their owner. They're like a dog or a cat, right? Um, but it's not a dog or a cat. So it all depends on who owns it, um, how they're taking care of it. It's a, it's a lot of variables, right? I was going to say, too, because you don't really, like, people who think that way, um, you know, you don't really think about the fact that people are going to be getting these animals, um, you know, either legally or illegally. And then if once they get rid of them and somebody needs to rescue them, they don't really consider that, you know, that if you're rescuing an animal from somebody who who had it and just got rid of it, then that, that might be beneficial. So yeah, I never really yeah. thought about that aspect of it, 
really so um i've done um shows where like we go around and we do um live events so it'll be like a educational um exhibit i guess you could call it um where we set up temporary displays and we put some animals out for people to learn about um we have some hands-on time and we do a live show kind of like steve Irwin would do um on stage and um we have people come up on stage so it's interactive it's educational people feel involved um we try to touch their emotions by explaining um rescue process or maybe what happened to that specific in the show um because some of them are pretty sad stories so it helps their heartstrings it helps connect them to that animal and want to help the cause um but as well as um it's it's helping the next generation when you see the kids interacting with nature um they they want to do good like that's all they want to do after that they want to go go out save the world after that so if you can touch a couple of them and make them um want to help those animals then i mean not right the animals are not harmed in any way so then what's the what's the issue right so what would you say to people who would say like that big cats need bigger areas of space. Like, are these cats getting adequate, adequate space? Um, what, what's your take on that? Um, so it's, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily space. So a big cat absolutely does need space. Um, but a lot of what the issues are when it comes to captive animals is not keeping their brain, um, active. It's uh, stimulation. They need something. It's just like if you put you into a, into a room, like look at us right now in quarantine, right? We're all starting to go a little bit crazy, um, right. starting to pace the room maybe, things like that. We're doing things out of the ordinary. Um, and that's kind of the same situation where if you stimulate yourself, you give yourself something creative to do, do a puzzle, um, play with the kids will play with their toys, play video games, something to keep your brain going. Um, then you'll be okay. And that's the same with zoo animals. Um, enrichment is the number one thing when it comes to keeping animals in captivity, um, keeping the brains active, keeping them going, keeping them happy, keeping them active. And how do you do that? Um, so it depends on the species. Um, so, Crocodilians, for example, um, when we feed them, we don't just throw a piece of meat in and that's that kind of deal. Right. Yeah, as you see Steve Irwin in the crocodile hunter a lot, um, he's being chased by a crocodile. And a lot of people will call that showboating or he's trying to show off or anything like that. But he's actually simulating a real hunt. Mm. So that crocodile is getting that um, that need, that want, that instinct that he feels he needs. He's getting that hunt. He's getting that action. He's chasing something. He's grabbing it. He's getting the reward and he gets his meal and he goes away. 
And so that keeps them stimulated, right? Things like that. You want to keep them um, as natural as possible. But you have to remember that they're in captivity at the same time. Right. It's all about balance, right? Um, my whole belief in life is um, it's all about balance. I mean, we've got people who think nobody should eat meat. We've got people who think um, we should eat three meals of meat a day. And that's two extremes. There's something in the middle there that maybe is worse ever, but could be kind of thing, right? Right. Compromise. Balance. So is uh, the way Steve Irwin went out, is that like, is that like, if you're going to go out, if you're going to leave this world as an animal person, is that like how you want to do it? Is that like the most badass way you can do it? Um, I mean, he went out doing what he loved, right? Right. So, I mean, uh, I feel like that's got to be pretty quick for as far as like a death goes too. Cause didn't, didn't he get pierced right through the heart? Yeah. So, I mean, it probably would have been fairly quick. Right. Um, I don't know too many of the details around it. Um, it was pretty hush hush as far as what happened. I mean, there's all kinds of videos that say they're the video, but, um, from what I've seen on a documentary. I think you're cutting out for a second. Hold on here. I mean, you cut out there just a second. Um, so you said on the documentary, what happened? Um, on the documentary, his wife said that, uh, she had the only copy and, uh, she watched it and burnt it. Mm. So, I mean, no one truly knows what happened um, or how long or whatever happened. But, and out of all the ways for him to go out, I think that would have been the way I'd want to go. Um, doing what you love, right? Yeah. He, he, he lived for something and he changed the view on, on nature, on wildlife. So the difference either way. Right. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, since we've kind of touched on it a little bit, let's talk about Tiger King because it's been all over the internet. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but we, we talked, uh, I think it was like last year when I was first looking for guests for the podcast. And we, were, uh, yeah. we, had, we had talked briefly um, through comments, but we never set something up. Um, but now Tiger King is like, is blowing up the internet. There's memes everywhere. Um, but for the most part, I think that those people are, are pretty garbage people. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, I mean, just the way that like, there was one scene, I think where they were like shooting something, they're like directing it. And the guy, I think it was the guy, doc, whatever his name was. And he's like, you know, basically making them set up the scene so that he can, he can do it perfect. And like, there was just a lot of weird, like shady underhanded shit. So, I know that you weren't too pleased with that documentary. I thought it was a great documentary as far as like how it was filmed and all that stuff goes. But, um, what was your, what was your take on that documentary? Um, so that documentary, they, the people who created it first off, 
they had a distinct purpose behind um, everything they were doing, everything they were filming. Uh, they were there for something like five years, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's um, what you said. So it was thoroughly, thoroughly documented. Um, and if you follow anybody for five years and take, what is it, like five hours of footage? Right. Um, altogether, I think the series is like five hours or something like that. If you take five hours out of five years of somebody's life, you can make almost anybody look like trash. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, they had a very distinct goal before they started filming that. Um, the people that are involved, I mean, there's some pretty shady characters there for sure. Um, the problem with the documentary is that it revolves all of the problems with these characters around the animals. Um, <clears throat> so to me, in the end, the animals are the ones that suffer because this makes the animal industry look like a whole shady underground kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, there's an underground to everything. There's an underground to the legalized pot in Canada. There's an underground to... Um, dinner plates on Kijiji stolen out of the back of a truck. I mean, <laughs> so there's an underground to everything, right? Right. <clears throat> um, but, and that's what they focused on in this movie is the underground. So people are going to look at this and think this is how the entire zoo industry is. Um, and that's not the case at all. Um, there's a lot of great facilities out there doing great things. Um, uh, breeding animals, um, charity programs, helping the rainforest. So, I mean, it, zoos are important, but we have to wean out the people like those people in that documentary, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, if you take, like you said, if you take any amount of footage and you cut it down to a certain amount, um, it's going to be easy to make people look bad. And, um, the, you know, they only really focused on a, a small section of the United States. Cause you know, I'm, I'm sure there's other facilities and, and I've been to different zoos that, you know, they had nice exhibits, they had different things, a lot of, a lot of room, a lot of stuff to do for the animals. Um, but my question is, shit, I just got through, through, I've just had a good question and I fucking got myself distracted. Um, it'll come to me. What was it? Oh, so what is your feeling? Like, I don't know how realistic this is or not, but what 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 type of programs are there for like getting animals back into the wild? And is that something that's even feasible once they've been in zoos for a certain amount of time? Or what's how does how does that work? Um, so there is a few zoos um, that work conservation programs um, all over the world for different species of animals. Um, But what people don't realize is that um, a lot of the animals in North America have been here since the 60s. Um, We don't really import a lot of animals um, so much anymore with all these different uh, species acts and 
all the new laws and things like that and regulations on shipping animals. Um, so a lot of these animals have been here since the sixties. So they're all like, it's like a North American tiger. It's been here for four or five generations and they, they've been here. So they're, they're not shipping them in from all over the world. Um, so some of their DNA is not, um, not good enough for them to use in breeding programs, I guess. So it all depends on um, their DNA. If their DNA passes, then they can be used for breeding programs and uh, they'll connect with conservation programs wherever that animal may be from and they'll breed and release kind of deal. Um, but it has to be the right setup of um events for that to happen right we can't, can't just bring tigers with um genetic defects into the wild right and then that ends up causing a larger problem down the road right right <laughs> um problem is is with people um who used to breed the tigers for money they weren't thinking about the genetics they were thinking about how many tigers can I produce or how many of these animals can I produce? So they weren't thinking about the genetics at all. They were just breeding whatever with what, whatever would breed. Um, that's caused a bit of a problem, but zoos have realized this is a problem. So the, the better zoos have been working together, um, to try and, uh, correct the problem. And so, so what are some of the ways that they've been working together to try to, to do that? Uh, so the first thing is they've been working together. Um, <clears throat> back in the day, uh, the animal industry was a very weird place. Um, you had the guys who were making money, like you see in uh, the movie Blackfish, I'm sure, mm. um, about the orc. It's seeing the guys who are catching the whales and they're bringing them in. Those guys were making money and that's all they were in it for. They didn't love whales. They didn't care. They were just money, money, money. Those were um, takers are the ones who care. They want to see the animals be taken care of. They want to see them do well. Um, so it's, um, it's a tough place to be when it's, back in the day kind of deal, right? There wasn't really any regulations or rules. Animals didn't have as many rights as they do today. Um, so a lot of stuff was interbred. It was mixed up where the zoos now, they're working together more um, and testing their genetics, um, working with conservation programs all around the world, as opposed to, this is my zoo, these are my animals, stay away right which how, which is how it used to be so communicate communication's a big change yeah yeah um i was gonna ask too so you're you're out of canada have you ever like traveled and gone on safari or anything like that and and done anything crazy um, I actually have never really left Canada. I've been to Detroit. Uh, it was crazy enough for me. Yeah. Um, 
Um, but no, honestly, I've never really left Canada very much. Um, I would love to go to Australia. That's one place oh, yeah, I would Australia love to be. be. Anytime you see uh, a crazy animal story, it's always out of Australia. Oh yeah, Australia. I would I would just be like a kid in a candy store in Australia. Um, but South America, we were talking about going this summer. May not happen now, yeah. but um, I would love to go to Costa Rica. Um, I always hear good stories about Costa Rica and the wildlife down there. So we went for our love honeymoon. To go check it out. Couple years ago, we went to uh, Costa Rica for our honeymoon, and uh, we—it was a blast. We stayed at a resort, and we did what they tell you not to do, which is like talk to people <laughs> yeah. down on the beach. And uh, but everything's cheaper, and like so, we met this guy the first day, and they were going to charge us a hundred bucks through the resort for their jet skis, and this guy was going to charge yeah. us half that. So we're like, okay, we'll take your jet skis. So we take the jet skis out yeah. and we're, you know, tooling around on the jet skis and we run into these people who got jet skis from the resort and one of their jet skis died. So we're like, we could have paid $50 more and then been stuck out here. And so we went back, you know, the guy was super honest. He, he, we overpaid him just because, uh, you know, he was a nice guy and he, he was honest about it. So then the next day he's like, all right, I'll take you into the woods and or the jungle rather. So we went with him to go into the jungle and we, we went looking for the, we saw the howler monkeys and then there was, uh, I think it was the white face monkeys. I'm not sure what they were actually called. Oh, the howler monkeys cool. Yeah. So he, he was doing the, the little call. So we, he was trying to find us a sloth. We went to, um, all through the, the jungle trying to find shit. And I didn't even think about it afterwards. Like, you see all these signs everywhere that's like don't touch the trees like he legit had us in the like the thick of the jungle and i was just grabbing whatever i could to try to keep myself up and i read a sign after it's like poisonous snakes and shit on the trees poisonous spiders don't touch anything i'm like and like he didn't tell us people don't realize man (laughs) yeah he didn't tell us any of that and we're just like going through the the goddamn jungle and so then we get back to civil. And at one point I literally was like, oh, we're going to fucking die out here. Like this guy's going to take us to somewhere and we're not going to ever be seen again. And so he, he started making a couple jokes like, you know, and he, we get, we get all the way out and he finally tells us, he's like, yeah, I didn't know where we were for a little bit back there. And I was like, all right, at least you're honest. So then we, and he ended up finding, driving us around. It was cool. He took us to some lady's house, um, who had a sloth. She had a sign outside that says see sloth. And so you pull over, he gave her a, a can of soda and she led us into her backyard yeah. and she has this sloth that just chills up in her tree. And we was like, just hangs, oh, out there, yeah. hangs out there. Yeah. So it was really cool. If you get a chance to go down there, if everything, you know, clears up and stuff, um, it, you'll definitely have a good time. There's plenty of, plenty of wildlife stuff that you can do. Even oh on, yeah. And we're working on uh, a lot of YouTube stuff. Um, Got to start doing some trips elsewhere seeing some other places, seeing some wildlife right in their own home, right? I've seen a lot of stuff. Um, like, I've seen some sloths here in Canada. I've seen rhinos, hippos. You name it, I've touched it or worked with it. And uh, I've never really gotten to see them in their own, own home, you know? That's, right. that's what I'd really like to see. Um, the problem is, right, like, that's why zoos are so necessary, a lot of people are so against them and I totally understand where they're coming from. I love animals. I would love to see animals out in the wild. Um, but we've taken that wild from them. 
Right. Like there isn't really much wild left for them, right? So I mean, until we smarten up and uh, start returning some of their wild um, zoos are kind of a necessary thing. I mean, look at the rhinos, right? There's more rhinos in captivity um, than there is in the wild, and they're breeding in captivity. So we're we're actually keeping the species alive thanks to the zoos that do that work, right? Right. Now, I was going to ask you uh, real quick, because um, we could probably start wrapping it up here shortly. We usually do about 45 to an hour. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, what's an animal? I like to do random questions throughout. What's an animal that you didn't necessarily like think that you would be all about, but then you got to work with it and you were like, oh, uh, like these animals are dope? Um. Like I'll give you an example. For me, I like I, I've always hated spiders since I was a kid. Like it's just one of those things. Spiders creep me out. When I was growing up, anytime I would see it, I wouldn't even kill a spider just because I was so terrified. Like I would have whoever was with me kill it because I didn't want yeah. anything to do with it. And then as I got older, you know, if they got closer to me, then I would kill it. And now as I've gotten older and stuff, I like I don't know. Maybe it's smoking weed, but I, I'll like look at. <laughs> at spiders and just kind of watch what they do and shit and they're super cool uh i still don't want to touch them like but i don't i don't kill them or anything like that i don't like like if they're chilling in my house i'll just kind of like, mind them yeah. yeah i just like before it, it would have like nah that spider's gotta go and um and so yeah now it's just <laughs> like all right as long as they're they're doing their thing it's cool so like what's an animal for you i mean i know you probably never had any issues with any type of animals but what's an animal for you that you're kind of like yeah but then you got to work with him. Like, I'll tell you the truth. truth. I got, I got a, I got this weird, weird phobia, man. I've worked with like the craziest stuff that people think I'm, I'm nuts for, right? Um, like from snakes to crocodiles to big cats, um, but ladybugs. Ladybugs. I got this thing with ladybugs. Yeah. Is it I like just, uh, when I was when I was a kid, we lived in this old, old rundown farmhouse that we were renting me and my mom and uh the government introduced these asian ladybugs to help with the aphid problem mm -hmm. so uh they like they took over there was thousands oh, of them geez. everywhere and in this house they were just like an inch thick in the windowsill mm. of ladybugs yeah so i got into my bed yeah, I got into my bed and I felt one on my leg, so I just brushed it off. I was okay. And then I felt another one. So then I brushed it off. And when I lifted my covers, there was like hundreds of them underneath my covers. Oh, jeez. So I think they were going for the body heat, right? Because right. it was wintertime. So they were looking for the heat. But I just, I ever since that day, if a ladybug lands on a man, I just, I freak out. Um, other than that, I've never really had much of an issue with many animals. Um, I would have to say, though, like out of all of them, the one that surprised me the most is probably the what? The crocodilians. So crocodiles, uh, caimans, alligators, gharials. Um, crocodilian family they are just so extremely intelligent 
more intelligent than people would ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and working with them is, is something else. Like, um, if you work with one long time, you almost, you create a real bond with it as well. Um, so it's, they were pretty cool, man, to, yeah. to actually get to know and work with and learn about when people think they're such this, such primal beast that only has a, a brain the size of a walnut. Right. And they're just, they're so cool. They've got personalities, each one individually. Um, they have a cerebral cortex. So it's a part of the brain found in most, uh, higher mammals like humans, primates, dolphins, um, but crocodilians have it so they can process a lot of different things. They also use to lure in prey. Um, so which is basically tools. So just like us, mm. they're just, it's so cool. So cool to learn about. So how do, so what type unknown, of tools right? do they use? Um, so alligators have learned, um, like eagles, storks. They use big sticks to build their nests. Um, so they will take all the big sticks that they can find in the swamp and put the pile, and then they'll sit at the pile or underneath the pile and wait for those birds to come. Mm. So they basically bait their bait prey with um, that they find that they know that they want, right? So they're learning what their prey wants and then place it, basically. That's pretty dope. You ever see that yeah, movie Lake Placid? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> actually my favorite movie. Betty White. She was like a hundred in that Betty movie, White. and she's still kicking. I don't know how she was. Oh, so she's old still kicking it, man. Yeah. And she, yeah. Oh man, Betty White. She's like, I'm rooting for the crocodiles. I hope he bites your hand friend's heads off. I was hoping that they were going <laughs> to do a sequel because at the end she's like feeding, oh spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, uh, she's feeding the, the little baby crocs at the end and then it cuts out and you're like oh they're going to do a second one and then it never came. They might have done a straight yeah. DVD but um, And you know what? Out of out of all of the animal movies, Anaconda um, Snakes on a Plane any kind of movie like that Lake Placid is probably one of the one of the more believable ones. Like if somebody was to put a crocodilian somewhere that it didn't belong, um, they are very adaptive. So, I mean, it's very possible it could find a way to survive. And would it get that big? Um, if it has enough food. Reptiles are um, built very different, right? So they're built more for their environment. Where we we need to take stuff in to survive, reptiles kind of take stuff in to survive, but as they need it. Hmm. So if there is no food, their body will just slow down, and they don't need as much food. They don't need um, to go out hunting as much because they know there isn't as much food in the area. Right. So so I mean, depending on the amount of food in the area. They could get that big. Um, the thing that normally stops reptile growth is death. So they don't really ever stop growing. They just kind of get so old that they die. Huh. I didn't know that. 
So, um, and due to their environment now, like the world is a lot cooler than it was back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and giant reptiles were a thing. Um, which is why the reptiles just don't get as big as they used to. Right. Uh, birds are one of my favorite, and I know that they're like direct descendants of, um, of dinosaurs. Like some, I love watching like driving down the road and you see a hawk or an eagle and you see it circling and then it just shoots down and you know it gets something. Those things are so cool. You'll see them like sit perched up oh, on yeah. like, the fence posts as you drive by, just chilling like. Yeah, those things are badass. It'll rip your fucking face off. Um, so I want to give you the opportunity, since we're starting to wrap it up here, to tell any stories that you want to tell. If there's any like cool, cool animal stories that you wanted to, that you we haven't got to that you wanted to bring up, um, now would be the time. And then before we finish up, I'll give you a, a ample opportunity to plug whatever you want to plug. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know, man. I've done uh, a lot of different stuff, a lot of different animals worked with those i've worked with crocodilians like i said are probably my favorite um i've been bitten by a lot of different things um what's the worst bite you've ever it's had? all part of the pardon what's the worst bite you've ever had the worst bite i ever had was probably the crocodilians the crocs uh it was a yukari caiman um so it's a smaller species of crocodilian um and he bit me right on the middle finger Hmm. and uh he let me keep the finger <laughs> i was, I was gonna say you don't have a, you don't have like the chubbs hand the, the wooden hand like chubbs no and... no just the cool ass scar that all the chicks dig <laughs> um but uh it was my mistake right like they're super super clever and uh i got into the routine of um when we'd clean the cage i would catch them but I'd catch him the same way and it was just a regular routine. And he learned that routine mm. waiting for me. So wow. that day I learned that you gotta, you gotta keep it switched up. Wow. Um, but, uh, he was always a little bit on edge. He kind of came from a pretty nasty place, that guy. So I don't blame him. I was watching some, I can't, I think it was a podcast and, uh, it's, it's you know speaking of it, it was you know you said it was your fault that you got bit there's a video i can't remember if i think it was a lion and there's this guy standing by the fence and there's all these people watching it was in some other it was like a, it looked like an eastern european country and uh this guy like goes to stick his hand into the cage i don't know what he was thinking but before he even gets his hand like through the kit like the lion's looking the opposite direction and before he even gets his hand through the cage the lion's already turned its head and got his arm and pulling his arm like into the cage and that thing it's i didn't so see the whole, yeah and i didn't see the whole video i'm sure he lost either lost the arm or you know got pretty fucked up but it's um it was just yeah i mean just the, anytime you you're around an animal like that and you put and you just like completely ignoring the rules or not respecting animals it's just you kind of have it coming but with your instance uh, like that i mean that was something that you learned obviously as, as coming into your trade but like i didn't know that i wouldn't know to mix up my routine so the animal doesn't learn it so i don't get bit like that's crazy exactly yeah um no yeah they learn routines and things like that so it's it's um 
it's all tricks of the trade and things you learn about animal behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's why it's so easy for people like the tiger King people to slip through. Um, because the general public just a lot of the time has no idea what they're actually looking at. Right. Right. Uh, and it's, it's up to us to educate them. Like people like me who do know what we're looking at, what we're talking about, um, we need to let them know, like, this is good, this is bad. Um, but there's so many lines in the sand now that it's really hard to say, right? Right. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Uh, and if there's anything you want to plug, go ahead and do it now. Uh, so on Instagram, I am the real Jungle Justin. Um pretty much any social media you look me up on I'm the real jungle justin is there uh, a fake jungle justin i was gonna say you'd be surprised man there's actually a couple other jungle justins out there um but you got the real one stuff. i am the real one yeah <laughs> i am the real jungle. so um uh on facebook though we are uh jungle justin's wildlife company um, that's my, my business. We rescue animals and, uh, donate to charities all around the world. Um, a lot of our profits from our events, my parents is, um, any kind of media we do stuff like that. Uh, it all goes towards some kind of rescue somewhere. Um, whether it's rescues here at home that are pets that need homes, um, or charities like the fires in Australia. Um, we try to help out wherever we can. Well, dude, thank you for coming on. Uh, I honestly didn't, you know, I didn't even have that perspective um, until you, you know, you mentioned that there there was that aspect of, of wildlife and and rescuing animals. And um, so I think, I hope that people listen to this with an open mind and uh, it was really nice talking to you. We'll probably we should do, definitely do this again because I feel like we just kind of scratched oh, the surface. Man. So, uh, Jungle Justin, check him out on Instagram. Thanks again for coming on. Stay safe, and uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah, man. You have a good night. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. As always, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share the shit out of this show. Tell all your friends. Well, everybody's got nothing to do. Make sure they're checking out the Itty Bitty Podcast, Choice Nugs Only, and all our other content. Visit our website, ittybittypodcast.com, to check out both shows. And then we got a blog on there as well. And we also have a Hotbox Hotline, so that's 702-907-TOKE. That's more for the Choice Nugs Only show, but I figured I'd promote it on this show as well. So call in there, and you can leave a voicemail if you want us to play it on Choice Nugs Only. Next week, we're going to be talking with Lou and Adam. Adam, Lou and Aiden from Lou and Aiden's Custom Customs, and they make some absolutely filthy custom comic book toys. So like you know Hulk and Batman and all that shit, dope, dope, dope stuff. So go over and check out their Instagram so you have an idea of what we're talking about. Lou and Aiden's Customs on Instagram, awesome, awesome stuff. Thank everybody for tuning into the show, and I'll talk to you next week. Stay safe.